Hey guys, Jack here. Thank you so much for tuning in. A couple of quick announcements about this week's episode and some upcoming Just Hands and Solve for Why offerings. First, a couple of WSOP-related announcements. Solve for Why is having an MTT Academy this May 24th through 26th. Each of the three days focuses on a specific aspect of tournament play. Day one will focus on early through mid-level play. Day two will cover bubble play through late stage play, with day three reserved for final table play. To learn more, use the link in the show notes. More on the WSOP. I'm offering a portion of my WSOP package to the public. Uh, If you want a piece of the action this summer, use the link in the show notes to get investment details. Uh, I'm not selling as much action this year, so my suggestion is don't delay if you have interest. And again, that link is in the show notes. Uh, Last but not least, Just Hands and Solve for Why have a big announcement that relates to this week's episode. In about a month's time, Solve for Why will be releasing a subscription online training site where Zach and I will be creating a ton of the content exclusive to subscribers. This week's episode was originally recorded for the site, uh, and although we've taken the content for the site in a slightly different direction, this episode is still highly representative of the future Just Hands offerings. I really think this will be the best subscription training site that has come around so far. Um, Solve for Why has so much to offer strategically, and they really put an emphasis on the quality of their content in a way that separates them from some of the other training sites that are out there. And if you want to be a beta tester, send an email to applications at solveforyacademy.com with the subject beta test subscription site, uh, and the SolveforY team will direct you from there. Uh, and those directions are also in the show notes. Um, all right, long announcements this week. Uh, but again, as always, thank you for listening and enjoy this week's episode. Hey, Zach. Hey, Jack. How are you doing today? Doing well. Enjoying London. Nice, man. So let's talk about a hand from a recent Poker After Dark episode. Uh, This comes from the Poker After Dark Reality Check Part 2. And if you guys want to check it out for yourselves, this hand occurs at about the 2 hour and 20 minute mark. They're playing 100-200 with a $200 ante. I think it was a 30k... Um, min buy-in, but everyone is a little deeper than that. We're six-handed. Yeah, let's get into it. Cool. All right, so uh, Maria Ho folds under the gun, and Frank Casella, uh, who has 62,000, opens ace-deuce of diamonds in the hijack to 800. Nick Schulman, who is sitting on 120k, calls in the cutoff with queen-nine suited, um, and John Robert, uh, who has them both covered, calls with King of Clubs, Jack of Diamonds on the button, and the blinds both fold. So any comments at this point? Uh, so yeah, I mean, we're, we're really deep, super deep, and I, everything feels fairly standard to me. I think you could make arguments for three-betting in both Shulman's and John Robert's spot, but I think... Generally, I'd recommend not three betting, but given how deep they are, uh, it would be hard to imagine it wouldn't be correct to, you know, mix in hands like those occasionally, more so Shulman's hand in his spot than in John Robert's. But yeah, seems seems pretty pretty straightforward calls to me. I, I feel like folds with both their hands would be would be a mistake, and while three betting might still be profitable for both of them. Again, more so in Shulman's spot. 
I think it's likely going to be more profitable if you had to pick one or almost surely to call. But, you know, when you're playing against really good opponents in deep games, there's, I think, a lot more value to playing deceptively and to not doing things 100% of the time. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I think I think next call is totally fine, probably what I would do as well. I will say, like, John Robert is a sticky button, whether, you know, that might be a reason to keep him in. But I think when you're this deep, uh, it's probably not a reason to keep him in. So I would be definitely three-betting, you know, a merged range here, just trying to buy position and play a bigger pot, you know, last to act uh, in this spot. But I think queen nine as just a flat is totally fine. Uh, and then John Robert, you know, with all, he, he three bets very wide, especially from the blinds. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily like merged or polarized. It's more just like wide. <laughs> uh, but I, I think he's three betting a little bit less on the button, which makes sense to me. So, yeah, and I think like just just to give you my sort of reads on these guys, which I think they probably have on each other, Frank Casella opens pretty wide. Like he's opening all, you know, suited one gappers down to like probably six four suited. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he opens. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he opens like a sign offsuit. Like not like ridiculously wide, but he's opening just about all the hands you would consider opening uh, from the hijack, even if. He's obviously not too worried about anyone at this table, I don't think. Uh, Nick tends to three bet more pulled than I would. Like, uh, I'm expecting him to be like probably just flatting with king queen suited, queen jack suited, those types of hands. Uh, and I think the rest of the table expects that too. And then we already talked a little bit about uh, JRB. So we see a flop uh, with 2,900 in the middle. Uh, three of clubs, jack of spades, nine of diamonds. And just to recap what everyone has, uh, Frank has ace-deuce of diamonds, uh, Nick, queen-nine of spades, and JRB, king-jack offsuit. And we have a board of three of clubs, jack of spades, nine of diamonds. Uh, so Frank, to see bet or not to see bet? I, th- I feel like this should probably not be a see bet most of the time uh he has the back doors uh one to the nuts the flush and one not to the nuts but you're against two opponents that are very deep in position whose range smacks this board i just think if you're c betting this hand most of the time he's going to be c betting way too much again to reiterate the point before in these types of games i think you definitely need to be c betting some backdoor nut flush draw hands a small percentage of the time just so that your opponents don't have such a large range advantage when a backdoor flush comes in these are considerations for these deep highly skilled six-handed games that you know you or i rarely if ever have to think about in the games that we're personally playing but i think you know you should probably be c betting here i don't know between like five and 15 percent of the time feels right to me yeah, and honestly, I think this this game in particular, some of the Poker After Dark games, you have to consider that stuff. This was like, you know, in my opinion, a really like a pretty soft lineup for for these stakes. 
the blinds were... Shots fired. Well, the blinds were Bob Wright and this guy Dempsey, who's a dentist. Uh, it doesn't seem like... You know, both of those guys are not like whales, but neither of them are, I think, taking advantage of like not uh, not having like nut backdoor flush draws in your range. Uh, I don't. I mean, Maria Ho plays really tight. John Robert, you know, is John Robert, <laughs> and, and I think Schulman's kind of a tell box. But yeah, I yeah. Mean, so I don't wanna, obviously, I don't wanna... Frank Frank is gonna. I think Frank should definitely feel like he has a big advantage here. Uh, and when you do put it that way, definitely compared to the other games I've saw, seems a lot seems a lot easier. I'm not sure about the Shulman Telbox thing. You've watched more of this than myself, but I just have such a soft spot for his commentating and analysis that Yeah, no, I think he's I think he's a really good player. I just think like he's undisciplined with his body language. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense. Yeah. And I don't I didn't I don't know that much about his background. I didn't, I got the sense that he has like a lot of live experience. So it's kind of surprising, but yeah, he seems to be very undisciplined with his body language to me. Uh, but I can also see his whole cards. So, you know, I'm a little biased anyway, enough about that. I think we both agree. This would be just way too wide of a, uh, bet. I think you could read, reconfigure the situation. Like if you, if Frank was in position against two players, and we saw like the jack seven three with the back door, then you could maybe get away with it. But this just connects with way too much of their range, and uh, it's just going to be really. There's just not that many turn cards where we're really happy to continue uh, when called. So, yeah, I think this is just a clear check give up, and that's what Frank does. Um, so we get to Nick who's holding queen nine, so second pair, uh, reasonable kicker, and some backdoor possibilities. He's got backdoor spades and, you know, a queen jack nine. So this is a hand that I know some people would probably like to check to balance, uh, be able to check call. And I think that's reasonable. But I personally would like a bet here, especially since I think JRB is going to have a lot of hands we dominate. And he plays kind of passive uh, post-flop, I've observed. And so I'm not expecting him to necessarily, like, bet all of his 9-8s, 9-7s here. Uh, you know, even, like, 8s and 7s, which could call one, although they, they definitely might fold. Uh, but I, I like just betting here from Nick, expecting also that Frank has a lot of overcard hands that are worth getting some protection against. Yeah, based on what I've seen from JRB's play across different streams, he's definitely kind of one of the more passive professionals in these types of games. So I think we definitely want to be betting betting more, especially because he's also you know on the stickier side as well. I just think we're getting value here uh, with our middle pair. I would also want to consider check raising, though. I think like middle pair with a backdoor flush draw can be a really good hand to mix into your check raise range. And this is also a hand that, you know, doesn't mind checking the way that maybe uh, other like bluffs do uh, that have less showdown value. So I think that in in, in his spot, I'm going to be, I think, in betting most of the time. But when I'm checking, depending on sizing, more likely checking a check raise than to check call. Hmm, that's interesting, and that's something I would have considered. Um, 
I think I like that play in a slightly different configuration. My concern about doing that here is that a lot of the cards that give us additional equity outside of a spade give JRB's betting range equity. Like it would be nice to be able to comfortably barrel like a 10 or a king. Um, but I think those are actually going to be really difficult cards for us to barrel. And so really like our only comfortable barrels are spades as a bluff or a nine. Even a queen gives us some reverse implied odds. Uh, so I think we might just be inflating the pot too much against a jack. And I don't think JRB is like folding any jacks on the flop. And I think he could have quite a few. Um, all the offsuit jack tens, queen jacks, jack nines, king jacks. Yeah, I think he would probably three bet ace jack. Uh, but he could also have some worse suited jacks. So I think in, in this configuration, uh, I'm not as much, I'm not a big fan of that play. Yeah, I think you're focusing on, yeah, he has a lot of jacks, but he has a lot of other hands. I think JRB, you know, if he's betting his gut shots of which he has plenty of betting some bottom and middle pairs and you get check raise. It just puts him in a really tough spot when one very deep, even though he's in position. Um, so I, I definitely hear what you're saying. And I think that this play works better against people that aren't JRB. Um, but maybe it's something where I still think you should be doing it some percentage of the time. Um, even if there's better, better cases where this, this play is printing more money. Like, it's a really good outcome if we get JRB to bet fold, you know, gut shots with an overcard, which I think is going to happen most of the time if he bets them. Sure, but a lot of times we have that overcard dominated because we have the queen. Um, so the only overcard that really has gut shots is a king. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, king 10 specifically. So king, 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 queen offsuit that he decided not to three bet. But then other and then yeah, there's not there's not a ton of value in getting a worse nine to fold. <laughs> yeah, I I'm I'm starting to come along to your to your point of view. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there is what hands I would want to check raise. You know, part of the thing about playing against a more passive player, as we're sort of making the claim that JRB is more passive, is that you can't do too much check raising just because like you can't count on a bet that often, so you have to have hands that are very comfortable um, letting a free card come and we're multi-way. So on this board, I'm just not coming up with very many hands that that have that mentality. I think like potentially something like even like a little bit more mm, no yeah, I'm just not really thinking much. Like I think almost almost all the hands I want to continue with here I want to continue with through a bit. Or possibly a check call, but even check calls, like I don't think that maybe ten nine exactly is something that is worth uh, continuing as a bet as a check call. Uh, yeah, I guess ten nine is also a hand that you could consider check raising since the eight is a really nice card to barrel, and so is the ten, and obviously a nine. All right. Well, Nick does, Nick does decide to bet. JRB flicks in a call, 
and Frank Folds. Any case for JRB Razor? Yeah. Well, I was, I was actually just thinking, you know, now that we're thinking kind of a little more fancy plays, um, I think Frank should be check-raising this spot some percentage of the time with his hand, you know? Mm-hmm. Again, I think maybe even a smaller percentage than that C-bet frequency. But this is just, again, this these cards smack their ranges, but once JRB flats behind, even though he's more passive, I think his range overall is very capped here. And I think it's reasonable with two players behind that Frank is still uncapped in the spot. So with the backdoor flush draw, I think you just, uh, you got to do it sometimes. And let's just talk, I want to just talk a little bit more about why I'm advocating some of these things that might seem on the surface, like, oh, that's just trying to get too fancy with all these different hands. But board coverage is really important when you're playing hunters of big blinds deep against players that understand different board textures and like whose range they favor. So if, if there's certain runouts, backdoor flush draw is the one we're dealing with now, but it could be like maybe a deuce and a deuce come out, and your opponents know that you never have a deuce or you never have a backdoor flush draw, you're going to be in a really bad spot, which is why it makes sense to have some small percentages of different hands, even if, if you did that 100% of the time with that hand, it'd be wildly unprofitable, just because even though you might be losing a little bit more money right now on this flop texture. Uh, it's you're making more money in the long run uh, by being better covered on different runouts. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea of having a pretty big check raising range here from Frank on this board that doesn't hugely, hugely favor the preflop opener. Uh, especially when you're out of position against two players where you're very likely to see at least one of them bet here on the flop. So I think having a lot of check raises makes sense. Um, I just think we have so many better candidates than ace-deuce of diamonds. I think it's a very reasonable thing to do with, you know, king-queens, queen-tens, even ace-queens, ace-kings with a backdoor. I think, like, between all of like these possibilities, you know, we just have so many hands that have a lot of equity that don't mind giving a free turn card that... Uh, plus, we can just do this with like a ton of value. There's no reason we can't just like check-raise with aces and kings. Uh, there's no reason we can't check-raise a lot of our sets here. I think like this is just like a good way to exploit the field uh, where they just have so much available equity to bet. And that when they don't bet, you know, their ranges are really capped and a delayed C-bet is very effective. Um, That I would just be check-raising a lot. And so I don't think, like, you need to include a hand like Ace-Deuce of Diamonds to have that kind of coverage. Uh, And I think I'd rather bet if you wanted to have some backdoor nut diamonds, I would rather do that with, like, Ace-King of Diamonds. Than ace deuce of diamonds. Yeah, yeah, I hear that ace. Well, I definitely would rather do it with an unpaired hand rather than like an ace three or an ace nine of diamonds. Um, the jack is the diamond, right? The nine's the diamond, but you know, oh, okay, the, the equivalent yeah. hand like ace nine of spades. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, so I'd rather do it with an unpaired hand. So yeah, what, what I think makes... I'd just be betting a lot of my ace-nines here. But in terms of the difference between ace-2 and ace-king with diamonds, what um, what makes you rather... Like, I, I actually feel like the small percentage of the time that I'd c-bet, I'd rather do it with ace-king of diamonds, and then, like, the smaller percentage of the time I would be check-raising, I would prefer it with the ace-deuce. Or if we're doing it both a small percentage of the time, I guess what you're saying is we could just do it both with ace-king. That, that that I'm with, yeah. Yeah, I just think ace-king is going to perform better on later streets. Uh... Yeah, we're not doing it enough where we can... Yeah, that, that single combo is enough for both check-raising and c-betting. Some some frequency. I'm with you, man. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think like most of our ace king is just giving up here. Yes. You know, we can do a lot of check raising on this board, but that doesn't necessarily mean like we're going to get folds on the flop. And I think with ace king, you need a good amount of folds on the flop uh, to make the check raise profitable, since it just doesn't turn very well. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I it mean, turns, you, it turns gonna... better if you have the back door, though, for sure. Yeah, so with the the ace king of diamonds, what's much nicer about that is you just have a uh, yeah you same amount of straight draws, but it's straight draws to the nuts. Yeah. So and I think the ace is also like a very safe card. Like occasionally you'll be, you'll be up against like two pair, but I think both these players are going to be three betting ace jack at some percentage, especially JRB on the button. I think would three bet a lot of ace jack offsuit. Um. So. Yeah, the ace the aces are really clean out. The king is not as clean. Um, yeah, I mean obviously that that's shared with ace deuce of diamonds, but yeah, I think we both agree though that Frank should you know just because like situations like this where both these players have like you know medium strength hands and we can just really put the screws on with uh, hands like aces, kings, even queens, uh, and then you know, nutted hands and just a bunch of uh, straight draws. Like, we can just make make their lives hell. And the reason I think Nick can get away with betting hands like Queen-9 here is that most players aren't check-raising enough, either with, like, values such as overpairs um, or with straight draws. They just prefer to c-bet, uh, since that's what's comfortable. All right, so on to the turn... Uh, we're heads up to the turn. So that we have 5,900 in the pot, and the turn comes the six of spades. So the board is three of clubs, jack of spades, nine of spades, or sorry, nine of diamonds, six of spades. And Nick has the queen nine of spades. So are you barreling here if you're Nick? Sorry, I'm just thinking. It's a really interesting card. I think probably not. I think this hand plays really nice as a check call now. Like it's 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 if we're betting, we're doing it to get to get value from draws and worse one pair hands, right? Like this seems like a really bad candidate to like bet 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 as a bluff to try to get JRB off a of jack, right? Yeah, that's that's kind of my feeling about it. Like, yeah, I think against some players. You could bet, 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 but... As a large exploit, you know? Yeah, the but thing again, is... Lot, lot, yeah. This is part of what's weird about defender versus defender. And that's that's a big part of the reason why I chose this hand, is because I thought it was an interesting dynamic because we have, we have a pot between two preflop callers. 
And so Nick is limited in the hands he can represent. He cannot represent Jacks plus. He can only partially represent Ace Jack, uh, especially Ace Jack suited. And he might not even be able to represent nines because I think he would be three betting nines at some frequency against Frank. But you know, I did claim that he three bets fairly pulled, and I I stand by that. Uh, I don't remember if I saw him three bet a hand like nines in this session, but anyway, he's. His value range is like pretty thin. He has a lot of available bluffs. Um, and I just think JRB is very unlikely to fold most jacks here. And somewhat unlikely to fold them on a, a safe river card. And I think the, the cards that JRB would be most likely to fold them are on the cards that hit Nick. Like a 9 or... Um, a spade would be, the, I think, the, the mostly cards uh, to get JRB to fold a jack, which is no good. So that leaves us, you know, we can still bet. And I think the problem is, I think JRB would just fold a lot of worse hands. Plus, if, if JRB is calling with draws and we check the river and face a bet, now we're in a, a you know, the classic, like, gross, no-limit spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think I think this hand exactly, like, backdoor flush draw with a pair. This is a hand that I don't think we need to do anything but check call with. Yeah, that's my feeling, too. And I think, like, the only option, other option I would consider would be check raising. Yeah, some small percentage of check raises for similar reasons we talked about on the flop. I'm trying to think of uh, at what frequency JRB is going to bet the turn is a bluff and give up on the river. Um, I mean, we should have the mm-hmm. equity to call most flop bets anyway. And if JRB bets like really big, then I'm actually even probably more comfortable just like, you know, check raising here. Um, since that would just feel like a very strange sizing for him to choose. Uh, with most of his jacks. I think one other benefit about um, check calling is that I would I would say it's not impossible that JRB bets for protection with hands inserted a buy showdown with hands like 10-9, uh, other queen-9, nine, 9-8. Nine, so I think we get to realize against those hands pretty well. And the category of hands that we are doing the worst against are like his draws that bet twice and we fold on the river and that kind of sucks but i don't think that happens too often we hit our hand a good amount yeah and i think jrb gives up at some frequency so nick uh does bet he bets 3600 into 5900 you know one underrated aspect about betting here is that when you get there the pot's bigger and so that's kind of nice but i think in this case i'd rather check call yeah, especially against JRB. I mean, I think if we're if we're raised, we have to fold, you know. And now we're holding folding a hand with a ton of equity. I don't know if, if we get raised, we have to fold. I mean, I guess we could occasionally three bet, but I I really don't like calling and then evaluating the river out of position against JRB's raising range, which the establishment is going to be tighter than most in the spot. Yeah, no, I'm probably three betting. I just don't think JRB has. Oh, you just think just this raise Actually, on this card i don't know i, th- I yeah, feel I like he this this guy he does like, he, he slow plays 
Yeah. yeah. He still plays probably more than he should in these spots, so I think we definitely have to fold. No, bet. I still think it's pretty pulled, and, and we have ability to improve against the nutted part, so like, I think you could definitely bet call here. Um, oh, I don't know about that. You think it's just like always, it's like the raise is just totally nutted? It's not totally nutted, it's just like nutted enough that like it's not profitable to like bet call. There's not that you much know? to be nutted with, though. Yeah, I guess I guess when I say nutted, I don't mean like sets are better or top two are better, but I think a lot of two pairs are going to be playing this way. You know, I think JRB, if he's flatting two pairs on the flop, which I guess is just top two. Right. Yeah, um, I think it's just it's just top two plus, and we're blocking some. And then there's, two. and then we're and we're also blocking blocking the middle two, the nine six. Um, so yeah, it's really just I guess sets of threes and nines and i still don't know if nine six raises yeah it won't it might it probably won't raise every time yeah so going going through those hands but then like what what hands make sense i guess and then there's a lot of hands that he could opt to bluff with and this is just where it makes you know you need to know your opponent where it's jeremy definitely has a lot more available bluff options hands that could, that could make sense as a bluff on the turn kind of natural bluffs versus like natural turn raises but maybe he's just very unbalanced here. I don't know. This is... Yeah, the is thing it, is, like, even if you're pretty value-heavy, I think Nick can just uh, just call. Yeah, if he, if he could feel very good when another nine or queen comes about his hand, then then I think calling at least not huge race sizes might be better than folding. So I'm still not convinced. Just the little I've seen of JRB on these big, these big streams is... In, in in these spots, he's very value heavy. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I think definitely there are some race sizes where you could say like, you just don't have the odds to call, and and that I would think that was fair. I just think bet- between the times where the river comes like a jack or a three, and JRB just like gives up with his bluffs, and the times we improve, we'll be winning enough to justify the call. Um, but yeah. No, that's fair. So my my notes on this uh, on this section is that I think Nick Schulman looks a little distressed making this bet, um, and I also know JRB is looking at him very intently. Where JRB on the flop was like still wrapped up in conversation and not like not necessarily looking at him, but for the rest of the hand, JRB is very much studying Nick. So I think I have to assume JRB is factoring what I'm seeing into his decision. Um, and what I see is Nick looking a little distressed. But I think JRB is a pretty clear just call. So we get to the river, 13,100 in the pot, and we get a very interesting river card, um, the Ace of Spades. So I think uh, undoubtedly Nick should be going for a bet here. And I'll... I'll ask you for your, your suggested sizing in a second, unless you think that maybe there's a case not to, to check raise instead, but I think betting is almost certainly best. But what's interesting about this ace of spades is like, at least from JRB's perspective, is that this like, really this should be like a good card, right? A good card for Nick's range? No, for, you know, like this this reduces... So Nick doesn't have a lot of like ace... X double barrels. 
maybe ace nine bets twice for value. I wouldn't. I would think that's not unreasonable. But Nick also only has two combos of ace nine suit at this point to even do that with. Like he's never flatting mm-hmm. ace nine offsuit. So that's at most like one combo that got there. Um, you know, I think once you factor in the fact that Nick might not be double barreling that, and so from JRB's perspective, like the hand that you fear most is ace jack, uh, and those com- combos just got reduced. In some ways, this should be a good card, other than the fact that backdoor flush draws got there. So it's a little, it's I think it's a little bit odd from JRB's perspective. From Nick's perspective, I think it's just like we got there. Let's bet. Uh, what sizing are you thinking? I mean, I think we want to use use a polarized sizing here. We're at the top of our range, so probably nothing under like 10k. Uh, I just I just want to think more about like what we're, what we're value targeting in, in Nick's in Nick's shoes, and then maybe if exploitatively, just because it's JRB, like we can do, we should go like smaller or bigger. So, I think as like a, a good a good base like a pot size, maybe even a larger than pot size bet, is going to be my default. And then because this JRB is does does that mean a case for going bigger or smaller? We've seen him, you know, he's kind of a he's kind of a wild card, and, and clearly like, you know, has some has some really good live reads based off the streams that I've seen. So, you know, you've seen him. We've both seen him make a ton of ex- really exploitable folds as well as like very, very loose calls, you know, when he feels like he has, has the read. So I think yeah. when we're up against a player like that, who is going to like take any, like once you get maybe above like 10K, read it as a polarized bet and maybe like go with his read too much in the calculation versus with like, I don't know. Versus maybe thinking about like which which hands make better calls because he's that confident in his live reads, then I think this is arguably a really good time to size up and go like much bigger than a pot size bet. Maybe go like between like one point five and two point five x pot. Yeah. So, so this is an interesting spot. If the jack weren't a spade, then it would be more likely that uh, JRB has spades. But probably most of JRB's Spade combos have a a nine. Like most other spade combos are a combo draw, and I think like are getting raised at some frequency on the flop of the turn. I I agree with you. That I think like I think this is a good spot to go for a more polarizing size. Nick has a lot of available bluffs: ten eight suited, queen ten offsuit, king queen offsuit, nine x that like decides to start bluffing there are a lot of hands that a jack beats so first of all if you're nick here what are you doing with king jack let's say we have king jack of hearts checking for sure yeah i i think so too i mean i think like there's a case for betting just because jb has so many uh oh yeah i guess i mean but not betting like a polarized sizing then no not betting polarized sizing and i actually think checking is is pretty good you can't bet too large because JRB just like might fold a weak jack to a larger bet. And you know, JRB has ace nine maybe I know I've been saying he three bets ace jack and I still think that, but maybe some ace jack, also some some backdoor flushes, like and if Nick like bets, you know, 
4,000 to 13K, he might get bluff raised and not know what to do because felt like he induced it, which, you know, that's never fun. Anyway, I think there's a strong case for check-calling King Jack here. And so, yeah, I would offer a more polarizing sizing. I think, you know, we have like, <laughs> we have a lot behind. Um, there's 13K in the pot, like over 100K in the stacks. I would just go ahead and bet like, you know, 15K, 20K, something like that. Yeah. And I think that's going to pique JRB's interest with the king a lot more. Or sorry, with the jack a lot more. So he's going to feel like, you know, he's either way ahead or way behind and it's hard to make a flush. It's hard to have flopped a set, you know. And, you know, also thinking that Nick probably wouldn't choose that sizing with jack nine, which is maybe true. Um, I think it'd be reasonable not to choose that sizing with uh, nine or with Jack nine. And then also JRB definitely could have like a slow played bigger hand or ace nine, which I don't think would fold to this bet. Um, even though when you make such a polarizing size, like it shouldn't really matter. Uh, I think JRB is less likely to fold threes or ace nine than King Jack here. Uh, even if that maybe depending on how Nick is constructing is wrong since the King blocks some value uh or some sorry king box some of the bluffs anyway yeah i would probably uh i would size up here nick decides to bet eight thousand into 13k um and if you're jrb facing this bet what are you thinking like i think this is a tricky spot yeah we're getting a pretty I, good price yeah i was i was gonna say i mean my, my first thing is like i had top pair I have second pair with the best kicker now. I'm against like a world-class capable opponent getting a good price. I think theory would say that this is a clear call. So it's just the question is like, how much can we like exploit Nick's tells and bet sizing to turn this hand into a fold? And, you know, I, I didn't personally watch the live hand. I know, I know, or I mean, I guess I did back. I think I did watch the stream, but uh, you recently watched it. Like, and you said Nick is a tell box. Like, does it, you know, you said he looked distressed on the turn. Did he look, what did he look like on the river here? Not distressed. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't say he looked like, I wouldn't say he looked like, uh, I can't say with any confidence that like he now looks like he has it. What I will say is like, he looked to me, his big tell is like when he doesn't know what to do, he looks confused and he moves around a lot. He was doing mm-hmm. that on the, turn and he was not doing it on the river yeah i i honestly don't don't even like i don't think i'm qualified to get in the business of like thinking if the bet sizing is like how jrb could exploit this bet sizing from nick you know like i'm sure they have a ton of history and that on top of that nick is also like even if he's using a sizing we disagree with he has like very strong reasons for using that size so i would say I mean, JRB should probably be calling here and to not, it's just like a big kind of live tells exploit, but Hey, if someone's going to do it, it's, it's him, right? Yeah. That's, you know, that's my conclusion too. I think like this should be a call queen 10 and 10, eight bricked, uh, other hands bricked. Like we're losing a good amount here, but Nick doesn't need to be buffing that often here for this to be a good call. Um, 
Put JRB Folds. Face up. Hero. Yeah. And he didn't think about it too long. I don't think he would have folded face up if the game weren't streamed. Maybe he would. But yeah, I think JRB had a live read, which made it a pretty trivial fold for him. And, you know, like, I disagree with, like, theoretically with, like, a lot of the things JRB does. But yeah, I mean, like, if you can make these folds correctly at a high frequency, like, that helps your win rate a lot. So, props, <laughs> I mean, yeah, props to JRB for this fold. Like, I don't think he's winning these games. Like, I haven't seen him do much winning, but, uh, you know, maybe he is. And if he is, I think this is probably a big part of the reason why. Yeah, that's a good note to end on. 